With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You know, it's a funny old world, isn't it? On Wednesday's show after Mark Zara won his second Melbourne Cup, we decided to pay tribute to our great sporting marks. Now, Glenn Hawke was in studio with me. He's a proud Newcastle lad. And he, along with many others on the text line, said, Jules, you have to include four-time world surfing champion Mark Richards. I said, my word, we do. I said, can we fit two surfers in the top ten? So Mark got the wood over poor Oki, only getting one. Well, that period of the late 70s and early 80s was a golden era for Australian surfing. And now, three of surfing's fiercest rivals and world champions will come together on stage and share untold stories at an exclusive cinematic screening of the 1977 classic surf movie, Free Ride. The stars of the film, Sean Thompson, 1977 world champion Wayne Rabbit Bartholomew, and four-time world champion Mark Richards were part of the free ride generation that travelled to Hawaii and challenged the local surfers and ride their big waves. They risked everything to become the best surfers in the world, and in doing so, they changed surfing forever. I'm pleased to say Mark Richards is on the line right now. G'day, Mark. Uh, morning, Julian. Well, I'm glad to hear you guys thought of me because I won those world titles a long time ago, late <laughs> 70s and um, early 80s. You know. <laughs> well, you are part of this wonderful new film called Free Ride. It brings together three stars of surfing, Sean Thompson, Wayne Rabbit, Bartholomew and your good self. Let me ask you, Emma, just for the sake of our listeners, explain this free ride movement. What does that mean? Well, it was a guy by the name of Bill Delaney um, shot the... Uh, the vision for the movie during, 19, during the winter of 76 and 1977 um, on the North Shore in Hawaii, which has, you know, and undoubtedly, you know, the biggest and best surf in the world. And that's where the pro events were held in those days. Um, and basically the, the Aussies and the, the young South African surfers, Sean Thompson and his cousin, Michael Thompson, we were busting to get invited to the Hawaiian events. And it was impossible to get a, invited to the Hawaiian events unless you had a reputation for riding big waves, just because you'd done well in events in um, Newcastle or in Durban, South Africa, or somewhere in California, that obviously did not register with the Hawaiian contest directors. So basically the young Aussies and South Africans went to Hawaii with this mission to try and get invited to the Hawaiian events. And we paddled out in the biggest, meanest, craziest surf we could find to get noticed. And Bill, who made the free ride movie, basically documented those sessions of Sean Rabbit and I, um, you know, taking off on crazy waves in Hawaii, basically. Wow. So, I mean, it was a long, long time ago. How's the footage held up? Um, the footage has held up really well. Um, it's been digitally remastered. Um, the soundtrack was always incredible because they had a like a top-notch crew of musicians and it's been one of the issues of re-releasing the movie or digitally releasing remastering releasing the movie uh, the music rights have always been an issue but even though the surfing is dated compared to the way people surf now like there's no comparison of the you know the levels that or the performance levels that we're seeing now compared to what is documented in the movie but it captures a, a, a time in history and an important time in history 
when the Aussies and the South Africans were starting to do well in Hawaii and were actually beginning to win events in Hawaii. And also the, the cinematography is, ground, is fairly groundbreaking because Dan Merkel um, shot the water footage and they had a special camera that captured it in like ultra slow motion. Beautiful. So there's vision of surfers like getting barreled in the tube, like in this incredible <laughs> slow motion, which had, which had never happened before. In other surfing movies, there were surfers getting barreled, but it was in normal speed. Mm. And it happens very quickly. So to see it slowed, yeah, it's, Sean has this wonderful quote about the movie, you know, like, time is suspended when it slows down or something or other. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it's still, like I haven't seen it, you know, it's probably 30 years since I've seen the movie, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing it on its little re-release tour. Yeah, to bring the viewers right into the water. You know, Australia, as we know, have a, a really rich history in surfing. I think if you find, if you add the men and the women, I'm pretty sure Australia has more world surfing champions than any other country. But I was interested to hear what you had to say about, you know, had to get over there and basically put your hand up at, at just to get noticed. Was it a case of if you're from, you know, the Southern Hemisphere, like in Australia or South Africa, it was very much a case of almost out of sight, out of mind? Was, you know, Hawaii in that part of the world the, the very centre of the surfing ecosystem? Um, Julian, Hawaii was at the centre of the surfing universe back in those days, mm. and it still is now. It's still a big way of proving ground. <coughs> Even our um, current world champions of the, the past few years, uh, there's always been questions, because there's only two events in Hawaii now, um, and you can win a world title without actually winning either or winning or doing well in any of those Hawaiian events because the world champion is um, based on, you know, your ratings points during the year and there's a one-off event at Trestles in California that decides the champ. But to have the, I guess, universal acceptance from the surfing community and that critical acceptance that you are a deserving world champion you still have to surf well in Hawaii in big surf. You can't be considered a great world champion by winning events in small waves and not going well in Hawaii. So it's a super long story, and I'll try and keep it short. But back in the early 70s, uh, there was no such thing as pro surfing. There were events with very, very small prize money, like as an example, you know, $1,000 for first prize. They started calling them pro events, but most of them were in Hawaii. There were four of them in Hawaii, and regardless of how well you'd done in your home country, like I could have won every amateur event in Australia. And if I put my hand up to get into those Hawaiian events, I would have been completely ignored. You had to go to Hawaii, spend winter seasons there, surfing the waves on the North Shore and proving that you were capable of surfing big dangerous waves. Um, you got noticed by the, other, by the Hawaiian surfers, mainly the Hawaiian contest promoters who had the discretion of who to invite to the event so you know we we basically you know sean rabbit and i who feature in the movie we went there on a mission you know it sounds completely egotistical but to impress the hawaiian surfers to impress the hawaiian contest officials and hopefully impress them enough that they would end up inviting us to their events which they did and it was incredibly prestigious back then to, to get invited to those Hawaiian events. Did you see yourself, just on that, Emma, did you see yourselves as pioneers because of what you did then? Um, yes and no. We, we, we weren't the first to, to do it. Um, 
Midget Farrelly, mm. who um, unfortunately, you know, is no longer with us. He was our first Aussie, Aussie world champion who won the world title at Manly many, many years ago. Um, Midget got invited to an event at Makaha, which is on the, the west shore of, of Oahu in Hawaii. And the event had never been won by an outside surfer, and, and Midget actually won that event. I can't remember the year. It was very late 60s or very early 70s. So you know, what we, I guess our surfing performances on the North Shore that are documented in the Freeride movie um, and our contest success was groundbreaking, but we weren't the first. There were, there were surfers like, um, you know, Midget Farrelly, who I mentioned, Nat Young and other mm. surfers who came before us that I, I guess laid the foundations for, you know, the, uh, you know, what we, we, we built basically. <laughs> How realistic, you think about that period, sort of late 70s, early 80s, was it to make a living from being a professional surfer? There was a dream to actually make a living. Sure. Um, Peter Townend, um, Ian Cairn, Sean Thompson, Wayne Rabbit, Bartholomew, uh, Mark Warren, they had a dream that you could be, uh, you could call yourself a pro surfer and have a pro surfing career and make a living from it. Um, back in the late 70s, the mid 70s and the early, very early 80s, uh, it was impossible to make a living. You needed, needed another job as well. Um, I think when Peter Townend won the first world title, won his world title in 1976, I think it cost him around $20,000 to do the world tour that year. And he ended up with about five or $6,000 in prize money. So mm. to, it wasn't, in, I guess, until you know, maybe the mid to late 80s that the surfers were actually making a, a sort of a, a reasonable amount of money to actually cover their costs. And there's a, if I can go on for what, just quickly, there's a wonderful story about Wayne Rabbit Bartholomew who features in the movie. Um, Rabbit was the 1977 world champion. And in the very early 70s, I think it was 1972, Rabbit wanted to go to Hawaii Freeride documents, you know, 76 and 77. This was before that in 72. Rabbit got this idea to approach um, one of the banks in the main street of Coolangatta to try and get a loan uh, so he could go to Hawaii and, you know, try and get into the events. And he um, put in an application and he wrote his occupation as pro surfer. And, you know, back then you could actually get an interview with the bank manager <laughs> and in his interview with the bank manager, you know, when he was asking for this $2,000, the bank manager read his occupation as pro surfer and basically said, son, there's no such thing and threw him out of the bank <laughs> and said, well, I'm not loaning you $2,000. <laughs> it's kind of a classic story, you know, yeah, and yeah. the bank manager was correct. There was no such thing as a pro surfer in 1972. Wow. You know, you, could, you might have wanted to call yourself a pro surfer, but pro surfing did not exist. Yeah, I'm not sure they're doing that to, to Mick Fanning, for example. Uh, how times have changed. But uh, no, no I, I, don't think anyone would th I don't think anyone would throw Mick Fanning out of a shop these it, days. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, this is of the, the success. And you talked about that period in the mid-'80s, I suppose, sort of the, the, the Lynch and, and, and Hardman kind of era when it started to become more sustainable. But off, off the back of the work that... That you guys did. All right, you talked about the biggest waves, and you get this question, I'm sure, Mark, a thousand times. Mark, the, the toughest or scariest break you've surfed? Um, scariest wave would be Pipeline on the North Shore, where the mm. Pipeline Masters is held every year. Um, it's a very short, sort of barreling wave, but it breaks over a, um, a sharp coral reef, and it's only 
Um, I guess it'd be you know between a meter and two meters deep, and it breaks with a tremendous amount of power. And it's um, at the bottom as well as being coral with crevices and you know lumps and boulders and everything. And over the years, there's been like a so there's been some deaths there, and there's been a lot of injuries. Um, it's probably the wave that scared me on the tour the most, and the wave that I least like surfing, mainly because at the bottom I was never scared of the actual wave itself, but I was scared of um, hitting the bottom. Um, and the other big wave spot in Hawaii is Waimea Bay and Sunset Beach. And I've actually surfed bigger waves at Waimea Bay and bigger waves at Sunset Beach. And I was never scared, even though the waves were bigger, because they both break in very deep water and the, it would be impossible to hit the bottom. The water is so deep there. So it's, I guess you could probably ask any surfer that today, and it's not, um, you know, no matter where they surf anywhere in the world, they're not so much scared of the waves. They're just scared of what is underneath the wave. And um, it's one of those things in surfing where the, you know, probably the worst waves in the world are on, you know, sandy beach breaks. Mm. The best waves in the world are on shallow, dangerous, you know, coral reefs or, or um, rock reef breaks. Before I let you go, one more. Obviously, the you know surfers by nature are, are environmentalists, aren't they, Mark? Conservationists, and we know the preservation of our beaches and oceans is, is so critical. Are you happy with what's been done at, at a local and, and global level? Um, I, I I think so. Uh, you know, you've got to be a real sort of realistic. Obviously, everyone would like to see um, more done in terms of the environment, but I know there's a, there's everything has to have a balance. Um, I think we're incredibly fortunate here in this country where our elected leaders, um, you know, local councils and state government and the Australian government um, does bear in mind, uh, you know, trying to keep the oceans as clean as they can. You know, there's obviously two reasons. We derive a lot of food from the ocean and so many people like enjoy the ocean. You know, it's not just surfers, it's Mm. swimmers, fishermen, um, you know, people, boats, kayaks, you know, this, the ocean just provides so much enjoyment for so many people. And it's sort of very gratifying to know that, you know, pretty much where, I, it, wherever you travel in Australia, uh, and, you know, someone will probably go, he's wrong, but, you know, I can't think of anywhere that I've, I've surfed or swum in Western Australia, Victoria, New South Wales or Queensland where the water isn't, isn't crystal clear. So we're, you know, we, we just, like I've, in a career, I've been fortunate in a career where I've got to travel all around the world. You know, I've seen different countries and different cultures and surfed many, many beaches in the world. But um, I would argue uh, with anyone that we have unquestionably, you know, the, the best beaches and some of the cleanest oceans anywhere in the world. Yep, indeed. It is the 1977 classic surf movie Free Ride, screening from Wednesday 15th of November for our Sydney listeners at the Hayden Orpheum in Cremorne, then in Newcastle Thursday 16th, Civic Hall, Wollongong Friday 17th at the Gala Cinema in Warrawong, and then to our listeners in Queensland Thursday 23rd of November at the Gold Coast at the Hall of the Arts. It's the sort of thing you've got to see on the big screen, uh, amazing cinematography. Mark Richards, thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Thanks, Julian. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you.